Welcome to the A&A Podcast, the Catch-All Christian Podcast where we talk about Jesus, apologetics, theology, and more. We hope to provide a biblical perspective on issues facing young adults today and pray our conversations would draw you closer to the heart of Jesus through each episode. Welcome to the A&A Podcast. I'm recording this video literally 22 seconds after finishing up my Pentateuch overview video, which was probably 30 seconds long, but hey, it's okay. I didn't want to include that in this episode that might be a little bit longer than what we're used to. I don't have much introduction to say other than hello. Thank you for joining me again. (laughs) If you are new here, I'm glad you're here. If you're old here, I'm glad you're here as well. Anyway, a couple things that we're going to talk about in all these Bible books, videos, gosh, I forgot my train of thought, are the overview of the book, the key verses of that book, stories you might recognize from that book, and also how the book points to Jesus. In all things, we always need to go back to Jesus, and especially during the Old Testament, well, okay, not especially during the Old Testament, the Old Testament foretells a lot about Jesus, and the New Testament after the Gospels points back to Jesus' life. So we have the Gospels, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all pointing to Jesus. Anyway, with that, let's jump into it. We need to remember that the author of Genesis is Moses. He authored the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And this is a historical narrative. This tells of actually historical events, which is pretty cool. Genesis opens with a line that may be familiar to a lot of people. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis starts there with the formation of everything in existence. Before there was earth, space, and time, God was present. And out of an overflow of the love the Trinity had, creation was formed. Now, I think I've referenced the Trinity before. It's a, it's probably the most complicated uh, thought in the Bible of Christianity, I suppose. But it's that, uh, it's the notion that God is one and there's three persons that are one. So God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God in three three persons, and that's the Trinity. We'll get more into that another time. Um, but just know that that is why the earth was formed, for God's glory and because of an out- overflow of the love that he had. God created mankind in his own image and in the likeness and all was sunshine and rainbows in the beginning. So God made man, and then woman came along. God made woman, and everything was lovely. God and man were in perfect relationship with one another. There was no sin, sadness, or death. The Bible even says that God physically walked with Adam and Eve, the first humans that were created. So he was physically present with them. He uh, communed with them and fellowshiped with them, and there was no barrier between them. Unfortunately, this peace and tranquility lasts about two chapters. In Genesis 3, mankind falls by doing the one thing God instructed them not to do, which was eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They literally had one rule to follow, and they botched it. They ate the apple, which it probably wasn't actually an apple, um, but they were deceived by Satan, and they ate the apple. Satan was disguised himself as this little snake, and came to was in the trees and was like eve did god really say you shouldn't eat that and she's like yeah we shouldn't eat it or touch it even though god said nothing about touching it and basically she took a bite out of the fruit gave it to her husband and their eyes were open to sin and death and sadness and all the bad things that are present in the world now 
entered into the world. Literally, the rest of the Bible is God working to redeem his fallen creation and restoring everything back to how it should have been, how it should have been perfect. So we have two chapters. It's really great. Everything's good and golden. God creates this beautiful world. Everything's perfect. God's walking with his creation. And then literally the rest of the Bible is about God, about um, mankind continually rebelling and God continually being merciful and gracious and loving and bringing his wrath upon there too um, because God is so holy he cannot stand sin and he needs to rid his people of that. Like I just said, because God is holy, he cannot stand sin. After Adam and Eve ate from the tree, God clothed them with the skin of an animal that he killed and banished them from the garden. As an aside, the death of this animal used for clothes was the first death, which is important. Um, in the beginning, there was work, but it was not toilsome um, or hard. After the fall, however, man was sentenced to live a life full of strife, laborious work, pain, and death were all the reality. Adam and Eve, and in turn, all of humanity to come, would have to work and work and work and work to survive. What a sad picture that is. Horrible, really. Um, we brought it on ourselves, though. But God is gracious and merciful and loving. He did not leave humanity with hope for long. In the very same chapter that sin enters the world, hope for the redemption to come also comes into the picture. This verse is Genesis 3.15, and it points to a Savior, a Savior that's to come in the future, um, that is to redeem mankind from the ill it created, and this Savior is Jesus. In the very first chapters of the Bible, it points to Jesus. It's so beautiful that even though humanity sinned right off the bat, God provided a Savior and promised a Redeemer to come. How, how beautiful is that? As Genesis goes on, we begin to see the setup to what would be God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. These people were chosen to point others to God, and through this people, God would bring the Redeemer. So this Jesus that was promised in Genesis 3.15 would be brought through the Israelite nation, his chosen people, and would eventually redeem all of creation. Time and time again, Israel messes up big time. Um, but I'll save those messes for a little bit later. What we're going to talk about now are some stories that you might recognize from Genesis. Obviously, we talked about creation and the fall, but some other ones are Noah and the flood. So this is when um, basically humanity goes crazy and just keeps rebelling against God, and God laments about even creating humanity. That's how bad it got. He's like, I wish I wouldn't have created them. But because God is merciful, he makes a way for humanity to continue by talking to Noah, this man of God. Like literally the only person on earth left, him and his family were the only people on earth left that love the Lord. And so he tells Noah to build this giant ark and it's kind of weird because it's never rained before and people are like, you're crazy, Noah. Um, so Noah and his family get on this, this giant ark with uh, two, a male and a female of every animal. And basically Noah and God give the others a chance to come on the ark and to be saved. But they're like, ha, you're a loser. <laughs> uh, so all of humanity except for Noah and his family are shut out of the ark, the ark closes, and it begins to rain and rain and rain, and it rains for a really long time, the entire earth floods, um, Noah and his family are on this boat for a long time, uh, he sends out a dove to see if there's, like, if it's safe to come out of the boat, first one, it doesn't work, second one comes back with an olive branch, they're let out into the world to repopulate it, and immediately after they get off the ark, they sin, <laughs> but again, that's for another time. The Tower of Babel is another story from the Bible. That's where um, all the nations decide, or all the people of the world, 
not all the people, but people of the world decide to start building a physical building up to heaven. And God's like, well, we're not doing that. And so he puts a bunch of different languages into the world so they can't communicate with each other. And that's kind of funny. <laughs> what a savage. Um, another one is Abraham and the formation of Israel. So this is where there's a man and um, God tells him that he's going to make a great nation out of him, but he's really old. And he's like, how will I make, how you make a great nation out of me? I don't have any children. And my wife is like really old, you know. And God's like, I'll do a miracle. Um, Abraham tries to take it into his own hands and Sarah Sarah, his wife, is in on it, too. And she's like, oh, just, like, sleep with my maidservant and have a child that way. That must, must be what God wants. So he has a child that way. That's not what God wants. A lot of bad things happen. And finally, Abraham and Sarah have um, Isaac. <laughs> I forgot his name. Have Isaac, the promised child. And so it's Abraham's only son. And God kind of tests Abraham and says, take your son up this mountain and sacrifice him your one and only son the one who I told you um, would be the one that would um, get get that nation started and so so Abraham trusts God um, but as he's going up the mountain it's really cool because he's basically like we will return both of us will return kind of thing so he knows that God's gonna provide a way and he's faithful to the very end he's about to literally spear his only son and an angel of the Lord comes and says wait stop and provides a ram, and so Isaac and his dad come back down the mountain, and that's the prelude to Israel. Um, Joseph and his eleven brothers are also part of Genesis, and you might you might know about um, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I believe that's I uh, is that a musical? I don't actually know, but anyway, that I don't know how accurate it is because I've never seen it, but I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say it's not very accurate. So here's how this story works. There's Joseph, and there's 11 brothers, and Joseph interprets dream. One night he has this dream. Well, I should back up a little bit. Joseph is his father's favorite child because it, he was, like, the child of a wife that couldn't have children, but then they had him. Anyway, and his brothers are super jelly because he has this cool coat, and he's obviously the favorite. <laughs> anyway, so Joseph has this dream, and he's like, hey, guess what? I had this dream, and it's interpreted to mean that I'm going to rule over you one day. And so they get mad. They get really mad. And they throw him into a pit, and they're going to kill him. But then one of his brothers is like, wait, don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery to save him. And so they do that. They tell his dad that he's dead. They put, like, a bunch of blood on his coat, and his dad is, like, lamenting for all these years. So um, Joseph goes into slavery in Egypt and basically works his ways up the ranks. And he's, like, the pharaoh's left left hand? No, right-hand man. Pretty much he has, like, the pharaoh's signet ring. And then, um, basically, the Pharaoh's wife tries to seduce him and is like, come sleep with me. And Joseph's like, no, I'm righteous. And so he skirts out of there. But then she, like, rips his cloak off and is like, help, he tried to, like, he tried to sleep with me. So she basically me too the guy. Anyway, uh, so he gets thrown in prison, and he's, like, sitting there for a long time. And then these two guys come in. I, one's, like, a cupbearer, and one's a baker, I think. I could be getting the segment wrong. Anyway, it's two guys, and they're like, we had these dreams interpret them for us. And basically, one was going to uh, be killed, and the other was going to be let go. And so Joseph, and these things came to pass, and Joseph is like, remember me when you get out. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll remember you. But turns out he didn't remember. <laughs> and so Joseph sat in prison for years and years and years. 
And then all of a sudden, the king was like, I need my dream to be interpreted. And the one guy that Joseph helped out was like, oh, I know a guy. Just remembers him, finally. And so Joseph interprets the dream of the king or the pharaoh. And it's basically like, there's going to be a huge famine. We need to prepare. And so Joseph, again, goes way high in the rank. He has the pharaoh's ring. And what ends up happening is people from Israel, there's a famine there, obviously, and they come to Egypt to get food. And Joseph's brothers show up, but they don't recognize him, obviously, but he recognizes them. And so he kind of plays a trick on them and is being a little kind of, I don't know, <laughs> funny. But he, he, like, announces to them that, or they figure out that he's uh, Joseph, that he's their long-lost brother, and they're like, please spare us, and he does. And so he gets to see his dad again, and um, it's it's a beautiful story, and then you should read it. I'm doing a disservice to all these stories, so you should read them. Um, but anyway, because of Joseph <laughs> and some Israelites that come and live in Egypt, the nation of Israel grows and grows and grows, and the population of the Israelites grow in Egypt. And this really scares the Egyptian royalty, the pharaoh, and so they enslave the people. And that's kind of where the book of Exodus picks up, is when these people are enslaved. Um, we'll talk about that, obviously, when we talk about Exodus, but those are just some stories that you might know. Let's talk about some key Bible verses. So Genesis 17, 7 says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God, and to be the God of your descendants after you. The covenant spoken of here is really cool. It's one-sided. As God talks to Abraham, so this is God talking to Abraham, uh, God promises to make Abraham a great nation. Covenants back then were much like contracts that we would see today, but way, way more intense. During a covenant, an animal would be split in two, and it would be really gross, really bloody, not pretty. Both parties would walk through the bloody runway, so they'd like separate the animal, put them on either sides, and the people making the covenant would walk through to signify um, the commitment to the pact. Doing this pretty much signifies that if the covenant was broken, the thing to be the thing done to the bloody animal, death split in two, could come upon the person who broke the covenant. So that's sick, but as you can see, the you can see the severity of that. Uh, marriage ceremonies mirror this, so uh, we see the family of the bride and the groom, and the two walk down the aisle, and it's a covenant. So that's kind of, you can just think about it that way, but way more intense. Obviously, at weddings, you don't have animals split in two. Anyway, back to this. <laughs> um, what's cool about this story, like I said, is that it's a one-sided covenant. God is making the covenant with himself. God knew the people would fail, but God himself would not fail, which is really cool. This verse sets up the rest of the Bible. Through trials and tribulations, God keeps his promises. Even when his people fall short, he does not. Another cool, cool thing is that uh, though God promised to make a great nation out of Abraham, at the time of the covenant, Abraham had no children, like I was saying before. He was old, like really old, and his wife was way past childbearing ages. And it would take another, I believe it was 25 years, uh, for Abraham and Sarah to, to have an offspring, but it could have been 15. I, I I, I think it was with some five. Anyway, it's quite a good thing that Abra that God had made the covenant one-sided um, because Abraham quickly broke his side, like I was saying, with uh, Haggai, which is Sarah's maidservant. And instead of trusting God to provide for him, all this happens. And basically, the terrible things that I was talking about before is 
Ishmael and his mother Haggai are punished and banished to the wilderness to basically die. So really bad. Even in his wickedness, God remains steadfast. Um, God takes the broken and the sinless and redeems them. So this this flawed man God used to propel the rest of the Israelite nation and bring um, the Savior. And that's really the, the whole Bible in a nutshell is that there were everyone that's ever lived is imperfect and we will never measure up we never will and that's why we need jesus no person in the world has ever been perfect but jesus so kind of wrapping this up how does this book point to jesus from the very beginning jesus was there we find out in john 1 um, the one of the gospels that we'll talk about because it's one of the first books of the new testament right now we're on the old testament anyway jesus is referred to as the word we find that Quote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. End quote. Jesus was there at creation, and even before then. So that's, it's just something really cool that ties the Old Testament and New Testament together. What's more, when humanity falls in Genesis 3, he comes in, promising to redeem the fallen creation. The Savior of the world is promised to come through Abraham's line, and unworthy as the nation of Israel is, Jesus fulfills his promises to redeem. We are unworthy of Jesus' love and sacrifice, yet he lavishes his love on all of creation anyway. He loves us more than he loves his status in heaven. He stepped down from the throne to give us a path to himself. How amazing is that? The God of all creation stepped down into the broken creation. He could have just continued to sit on high and he could have turned a blind eye to all of the, the havoc that was taking place on earth, but he didn't. He chose to come down and to be present and to die for his creation and some would reject him still. So Genesis ends with the death of Joseph and the events directly leading up to the exodus. So the Israel, uh, Joseph rises up and um, the Israelite nation explodes in Egypt. The Egyptians get scared and throw them into slavery. Joseph dies somewhere in there, and we come into the book of Exodus. So that's where we kind of end. And I guess that's where we'll end today's video. Um, I hope it makes sense. I know I'm kind of all over the place when I explain things, and so if you have any questions, please throw them down in the comments. Um, you're always free to DM us at, on Instagram at aapod2022. Again, that's at aapod2022. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk at you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the A&A Podcast. Please consider leaving a like and a comment on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts so others can find our show and get connected to Jesus. You can stay connected with us both on Instagram and YouTube at aapod2022. Again, that's at aapod2022. Have any topics you'd like here discussed or questions you'd like answered? DM us on Instagram. Business inquiries can be emailed to us at aandapod22 at gmail.com. Again, that's aandapod22 at gmail.com. May the Lord strengthen and bless you today and always. Thank you.